Hello and welcome back. You are listening to Redirected, a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, and entrepreneurs to hear about their career pivots and how they've dealt with life's unexpected events. My name is Andrew East, and the reason I started this show is because I have experienced several career redirections myself. I graduated undergraduate with all intentions of starting a nonprofit organization to bring water to people around the world. Ended up getting picked up by the National Football League. Today we have a very special, unique episode. Last week I ran the Boston Marathon. It was grueling. I felt good through 15 miles and then hit a wall and uh, was humbled to say the least. And I ran the marathon with and because Cliff Barr, who has tons of different organizations and charities that they are part of and I wanted to help support those. And as part of this collaboration with Cliff Barr, they allowed me to do a series of interviews live at the Boston Marathon Expo in front of crowds and crowds of people. And so this is the first of that series. And today I sit down with Scott Jurek, who is an amazing athlete. And I had zero intention or belief that I could run the Boston Marathon before I met Scott. And Scott instilled in me a sense of confidence and belief that I could in fact run the marathon as a 240 pound football player. Uh, Scott has run ultra marathons for the past couple decades and has been wildly successful at it. Uh, At the top of his resume, he won the Western States ultra marathon 100 mile race seven years in a row. Uh, The same seven years actually that Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France. And Scott has also participated in tons of other races, including the Badwater, Leadville, and a 24-hour race where they sound the gun and see how far you can run in 24 hours. So Scott has also written two books, the first being Eat and Run, where he chronicles his entry into ultramarathons and how he balances that with his vegan diet. And then the second book is called North. And it's all about him breaking the record for completing the Appalachian Trail, which he did in 46 days. And exciting news, North actually just came out in paperback edition. And if you want to check that out, I will include the link in the description down below. I want to thank Scott for taking the time to sit down for this interview with me. I want to thank Cliff Barr for providing the forum to make this happen. And I also want to thank Himalaya, which is my preferred podcast app. If you guys don't have it, check it out. And so I'm excited to share this interview with him where he shares so much of his wisdom. Let's go ahead and dive in. All right, everybody. We are live from the Boston Marathon Expo at the Cliff Bar booth. My name is Andrew East, and I'm sitting here with ultramarathon legend, Scott Jurek. Scott, thanks for taking the time to sit down with me. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. I got I to gotta tell you, it's your fault that I'm here and running this marathon. Uh, it did not mesh with my football training schedule, but last year we were doing a, a, a warm-up run, and you so casually and nonchalantly told me that I could, in fact, run a marathon. I just had to put the work in and, and convince myself that I could. So I appreciate you believing in me, as you have with so many people. It's, it's, it's cool the effect that you have uh, in that sense. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I could instigate uh, and motivate you to, to do something. <laughs> I don't know if the NFL wants you to be out there doing a marathon, but yeah. uh, I think you're going to do awesome. And it's it's going to hopefully help your season. Thanks, man. Hey, I want to start with uh, talking about something we both have in common. And I read this in your book, Eat and Run, that you do pancake Sunday every Sunday. Is that still a tradition? 
try to do it as often as possible. Um, sometimes it turns into waffle Sunday instead of pancakes. But um, when, it, when I was a kid growing up, usually one of the weekend days, we'd have some kind of special like breakfast, you know, whether it was pancakes. And um, Jenny and I tried to start that as well. And so actually our two and a half year old daughter, Raven, she's like so pumped about it. In fact, she's always asking like, you know, pancakes today? Like yeah. she wants them every day. So she doesn't quite understand it's on a Sunday, but it's a, it's a fun little tradition. And it, it kind of keeps us just having a, a mellow Sunday of, yeah. you know, having pancakes, having something that would be a little bit more involved. Yeah. It's something that Sean and I started, and we, we count on carrying it into us having kids, and we're excited about that. But part of your legacy is your diet. Mm -hmm. And I believe starting in 1997, you became a vegetarian while you were doing all these ultra marathons. And then in 1999, you became a vegan. Can you talk about that and the effect that that's had on your career? Yeah, it was one of those things. For me, it was a really tough shift. I, I, I was motivated to do it. I got inspired by reading a few books. Um, Dr. Andrew Weil was a big inspiration. I read his Spontaneous Healing book, Eight Weeks to Optimal Health. These were books that started getting me thinking, okay, I could maybe go vegetarian. Yeah. Uh, and I gradually, you know, got rid of the fast food four or five times a week. I mean, I was in my 20s, just finishing grad school, and I, I definitely did not have the most ideal diet, but I just really became intrigued of like, how can I incorporate more vegetables? And I was one of these kids who hated vegetables, um, like corn and carrots were like, and potatoes were the, basically, that was, that was my vegetable uh, yeah. <laughs> array. And then after reading Mad Cowboy, it really made me shift to go towards vegan. Okay. And I thought if this third generation cattle rancher could go vegan, a hunting and fishing boy from Minnesota could do it. And Howard Lyman just yeah, he spelled it out in a way of like, okay, I can go the full plant-based way. And it wasn't easy because at the same time, I was also getting ready for my first Western States 100, you know, the biggest ultra marathon of my life, so to speak, and the most competitive 100-mile race in the world. And six months before that, here I am going vegan. So it definitely messed with me right up until that time. So it wasn't an easy transition, but it was something that I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. And like ultra running, I didn't think I could ever do something like, you know, run 50 miles, 100 miles. It just, it was something where I felt like this desire to challenge myself and, and see if I could pull it off. And you've now done that for 20 years? Yeah, almost 20 years now. It's wow. kind of crazy that it's, uh, it's been that long. And I don't really look at it as this um, hardship. I mean, it gets a little trickier when I'm out, say, in rural settings, particularly in the U.S. Um, but in general... You know, whether it's airports or, or other places, I can usually find something to eat, even if I don't have like all my food with me or certain staples. Um, I do travel sometimes with protein powder in remote areas, but it's, uh, it's a fun way to eat, and I just have really enjoyed it. It's, uh, and I'm still learning things, and yeah. that's what's fun. I love to cook. I love to spend time in the kitchen, and that's helped too. Part of your bio is that you're an, an amateur chef. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've... <laughs> I wrote 20 recipes. Up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what amateur chef is. Uh, I'm, yeah, chef in training, you could say. Um, I just grew up cooking with my mom in the kitchen. I love, I love the idea of, you know, blending ingredients, um, learning from different cultures and ethnic cuisine. And that, that was something that was passed down from my grandparents. And just this importance of being connected to your food, whether it was from growing it in the gardens to harvesting it to 
pairing it into meals, um, there was this idea of like, that was part of life. It was this lifestyle. And that carried through, especially, and it helped me when I became vegan because it wasn't easy. I was not going to be able to go to a restaurant and find food in northern Minnesota, nor could I afford to do that. Right. Um, as an athlete and somebody going through grad school, uh, the best way was to get in the kitchen and do it. And it's really, yeah, it's been a fun process from that standpoint. That's, that's why I love hearing from other people that going plant-based kind of force them to get in the kitchen and, yeah. and make their own food, which I think is one of the best steps to just even gaining better health overall. Even if you're not fully plant-based or vegan, getting in the kitchen, making some of or most of your own meals is, is a huge step in towards that like direction of optimal health. Yeah, I'm an Indiana boy myself, so I get the struggles of a Midwestern diet. Yeah, you where um, Jello is considered salad. I don't know if <laughs> yes. you grew up. Maybe that was like going by the wayside. I'm a little older, but it might be specific to Minnesota. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but Jello salads. There, we're yeah. all about them in Minnesota, Wisconsin. So maybe Indiana wasn't included in that. But yeah. so you haven't had carrots or marshmallows in Jello, and it's called a salad. I love that though. Yeah, I do pineapple. Like it. <laughs> it sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, actually, you mentioned Andrew Weil. One, his restaurant is True Food. Is that right? It's one I'm sorry. Of, True. Have you heard of True Foods? It's Andrew Wiles. Yeah, restaurant. I haven't been there, but you gotta go. Oh, it really? Is delicious. So it's Sean and I's favorite restaurant. No it's way. It's amazing. Top to bottom, the menu is just delicious, and you you walk out of there full, but not with that nasty feeling. So uh, I'd love to check it out. Yeah. It, yeah, I know he's gotten into doing more along the lines of you know restaurant and yeah. food service type stuff. So yeah. it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. So we're here at the Boston Marathon. This is my first Boston. This is my first marathon in general. How many have you done? How many Boston marathons have you done, and how many marathons have you done? I've done four Bostons, and Boston has always been a race that I like, give back. I've guided friends. I guided, actually, the founder of Cliff Bar, Gary Erickson, a couple of years ago. Um, I've guided blind runners. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where... I don't know. It's been a race where I actually haven't run for myself. Yeah. Um, and it's been kind of a fun tradition that I get out there and just uh, enjoy the experience from a different angle, a different perspective. Yeah. Um, but I've run, I don't even know how many marathons I've run. And th that's not to include like when I've run a marathon as part of an ultra marathon, but um, I kind of lost track. <laughs> I know I should probably keep track of those things, but I've run, you know, close to 100 ultra marathons and I don't know how many just straight marathons. Wow. So you mentioned the Western States, and you've won that seven times? Seven times in a row? Seven times in a row. And that's a 100-mile race? That's a 100-mile race. Um, over the Sierras, starts basically in Squaw Valley, goes over the Sierras, drops down into the American River Valleys, and ends up in Auburn, California, just outside of Sacramento. Wow. Uh, 19,000 feet of climbing, 23,000 feet of descent. And it's a special race because... For so many years, it was the premier event when it came to 100 miles. It was the first trail 100-mile race out there, and it just has this steep history and tradition. And then it, it was also the, the place, if you wanted to prove yourself against the best, you'd run Western States 100. You've also done Badwater, and I believe at Badwater, it, uh, it brought you to your... Were you face down at some point during the race? I mean, I was. I was puking my guts out. That's how um, I plan to feel on Monday. That's, that's yeah. my game plan. Just I mean, hopefully you won't be puking. <laughs> uh, but you might have moments where you're like, yeah, I want to be face down. Uh, yeah. Although maybe the rain will uh, prevent that. You won't want to be uh, laying in a puddle somewhere. But I was literally laying you know, in a puddle of puke, just like 
at mile 80 thinking I was done, like so dehydrated, so over it mentally. And somehow I got back up after getting some fluids in me, regrouping, I think it was after 20 some minutes. And then I got up and set a new course record. That's so, amazing. Um, and I, I think that's the beauty. And that's where I would recommend for you on Monday, there'll be those times where you just feel like you're at rock bottom and maybe even then some. Yeah. And there'll be a way out of it. And that's, that's where the magic of ultramarathoning, ultra running, marathoning, it's getting out of those low points when you don't think you have a chance and you've got to like just quit or pull the plug. So how, how do you have tips on how to get out of those, those low points? Like, is it drink some water or take a break or? Um, I think it's a little bit more deep. I think it's more mental than anything. Like, yes, if you're dehydrated, you've got to get fluids in. Or if you, if you haven't been paying close to your nutrition and you haven't been eating every 20, 30 minutes and getting carbohydrate in, there are some mechanical things you can do. I call them just, you know, changing the strategy, like getting that fluid in, getting the food in. But when it comes to actually like digging yourself out of a, a hole, so to speak, the mental component has to happen. So the first thing I like to do is have the emotions of like, you know, I hate this. Why am I out here? You got to like <clears throat> let that out, the frustration, being upset if things aren't going well. And then after you've had the emotions, you can't stay there. You've got to like, okay, let that out and then start thinking about, okay, what's my strategy to get back in the game? You know, how, how can I make my situation a little bit better? Um, and that's why you, you got to get out of that emotional state and start thinking, okay, can I, you know, what needs to happen? Do I need more fluids in me? Um, or sometimes you just need a mental switch to, to shift and be, okay, how can I focus on something positive? If you're feeling bad, can I, you know, get to the next aid station where there's, you know, fluids or food? Can I get to the next, you know, top of that hill that you can see? Um, putting small goals that seem manageable in front of you can help you get out of the funk of thinking, okay, I would just want to be home sitting on my couch. <laughs> like, you know, why did, why did somebody convince me I could run this marathon kind of thing? Or like, you know, what was I thinking? Because I have those same thoughts, whether it's on the Appalachian Trail, running Western States 100, so many times throughout a 100-mile race or any type of race I've done, I, I come up with excuses or reasons why I could be doing differently or you know, why am I out here? This, this sucks. Um, because quite frankly, it is tough, you know, and that's why we do these things. We want to experience the tough side and getting out of the tough moments. There's like this incredible feeling of just accomplishment, satisfaction, self-worth, um, that you just, you, you can't pay or, you know, have that experience until you go down to the, the dark and deep places. Yeah. It's amazing. It was literally, I can pinpoint it to my conversation with you last year when I asked, what's the, uh, what's the furthest you've ever ran? And you mentioned the 24-hour race that you did where they, they sound the gun and let's just go for 24 hours. And you ran over 165 miles. Is that right? That's right, 165.7. So it's six and a half marathons um, yeah. with some bathroom breaks. But, uh, it, um, you know, there's a little bit of walking as I, you know, come through the support areas. But the crazy thing, too, is a one-mile loop. So if you can imagine, oh. you know, doing that for 165 plus, because it was even less than a mile. It was like 0.9. Yeah. Um, and that's the, 
the part, like 24-hour races that are held on a loop course like that are the hardest things, I think, mentally that one can do from an endurance standpoint. Um, you know, 24-hour bike rides that are on a loop in track races, it, it just messes with you so much. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, I call it the PhD of ultramarathoning or running because it's like next level. Yeah. And I've only done a few of them. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun because the training for the marathon and the way you so nonchalantly said, you know, you, you could do a marathon, it really unlocked in me uh, potential that I didn't know I had where it's like you, you free yourself up mentally where the first run you go out and it's two miles and you're grinding it out. And, you know, I've run two miles four times in my life before that. And then, you know, three months later you fast forward and you're doing a 15-mile run and it's nothing. So it's, yeah. it is fun just having you set the bar so high uh, for me made the whole training process easy because it was like, hey, look, this guy ran 165 miles. I could probably do this too. I'm curious if there's people in your life who have unlocked that potential of, hey, you know what? I didn't think I could do this, but seeing how they live and, and seeing how they think, who are those people in your life? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was somebody like, you know, my buddies Dusty and Hippie Dan. They were these... Um, individuals that like I was a hunting fishing boy I come from the backwoods you don't hang out with hippies yeah. um, and these guys you know grew their hair long they you know my buddy hippie Dan he was are you insulting my flow Is it, what's that you, you making fun of my hair that, <laughs> no I, okay. long hair don't care you know that's Jenny won't let me grow my hair she won't bring let me bring the mullet or the uh, the long curly hair I used to have hair down the mid back um, yeah she won't let me do that anymore salt so. and pepper looks, <laughs> no, looks exactly um but, yeah, they were, um, and so I, you know, I started hanging out with these guys, and they just kind of made it seem like it wasn't anything to run an ultramarathon. And that's, that's how I ran my first marathon. I ran my first marathon a month later, I ran my first 50-miler. And they kind of they made it seem like it was fun and cool, and seeing a guy like Hippie Dan talk about, you know, he'd, he would run in blue jeans and show up to these races and you know, do really well and win sometimes. And he just had this way about him, like describing the trail, describing the experience. It was just like this holistic idea of thinking. And it, it just, yeah, took off of me. And then I had the young guys like my buddy Dusty and, and other people. And there was the guy um, who is a, a former uh, Vietnam vet who had gotten into ultra running. And, you know, he was one of like the older guys who, you know, would teach us, you know, different things about the sport that, Maybe he wasn't the fastest, but he was just so mentally tough because of the background he had. And I think I just really related to those things, having a mother with multiple sclerosis, having something like that, a chronic disease, that was a huge uh, life changer for me and forced me to grow up really quick. Um, running was this way of like channeling some of the things that I learned with hardship in life. And so I feel like that's where what helps too for people who are new to the sport. like. If you've had tough experiences or you know, your background you know, might have been in another sport, I think you can carry a lot of those things into running. It, it's not all about the miles that you run or, or how, mu how much you know, your training has allowed you to get to the finish line. It's probably more what's upstairs in, in your mind and, and what life experiences you have and yeah. take those. So, yeah, when you're digging deep... Uh, you can curse my name on a Monday, but you also have to find a way to, yeah, get through that. And I think that's, that's, what's, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. And I think it's cool that 
there's no perfect body type in running. Like, yeah, if you want to win the Boston Marathon, you're probably going to have a certain body type. You're going to have a certain background. You're going to have some talent of some sort. Um, but for the folks that are getting to the finish line from you know four hours and beyond, or four hours and under, they're they're channeling other things than just you know a body type or a certain level of fitness. And yeah. that's what I love about endurance. Yeah. Um, there's more than just you know running that gets you through it. Yeah. You mentioned body types. I am a little concerned. I don't exactly have runner's thighs, so <laughs> no. I tried on a pair of the, the sweet that I bought, Boston Marathon branded. Never worn a pair of shorts that short. And then, uh, you know, I'm not sure. Never worn a pair of shorts that short? That short. That short. Okay, yeah. All the way up. But so I'm, are you wearing your, like, sure. football warm-ups, you know? I think I'm going to have to just maybe, like, go compression shorts and then figure something out to, to make it, put yeah. it over that to make it modest. But um, it, it is cool to, to be here and see such a diverse crowd and how many participants are running one of them is, is different, comes from a different background. Um, I want to get into your book that you most recently released. You have the first book that you wrote, Eat and Run, which is fantastic. Would highly recommend it if you haven't read it yet. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> I, I assume you read it. And then North, uh, which I believe the tagline is Finding My Way on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that experience of 46 days on the Appalachian Trail running an average of 50 miles a day? Yeah, it First off, it was unlike any other challenge in my life, um, and I knew going in it was gonna. That's probably why I saved to do save something like that towards the end of my career because I knew it was gonna take me to places I'd never been before, um, figuratively and literally. Like yeah. I had I had not set foot on the Appalachian Trail more than a, a, a couple of times. I you know, ran 20 miles of the 2,189 miles, but each day um, presented it was like I was. Even though it wasn't a race, I was going after a record. Each day felt like a different 50-mile race. Um, and each day had all of those miles stacked on top of it. And so mentally, it just became one of these, like, I'd go from these highs of finishing the day and feeling like, oh, that was amazing and that was awesome. I'm glad I got through all of that. And then I'd, like, literally an hour later, I'd be like, I can't believe I'm going to wake up and do this again and again and again and again. And that was the hardest thing mentally to go from like an extreme high of like feeling pumped, seeing the progress and then realizing in six hours, I'm going to do this all over again. And that's what wore down on me day after day, the sleep deprivation, um, the physical injuries and, and just the things that occur. And then to stack up this idea of like, okay, there, there's no, it, it almost seems like there's, there's no end to it. Um, and it's kind of cool in that way, too, that it's just so tough, so difficult. It, you, I was in survival mode a lot of times, um, which you get bits of that in a 100-mile race or a marathon. But when you're out there day after day after day, it's, I don't know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's next level mental grit, strength, whatever you want to call it, tenacity. It's yeah, you're literally, even though I wasn't fighting for my life, I felt like I was just trying to survive each day. Yeah. One thing I loved, and we mentioned this earlier, is uh, you, you include your wife, Ginny, and her perspective of, of how to uh, support you through those 46 days. And she's driving around in your black van called Castle Black. And just how, how does she prepare for 46 days on the road when there's no cell service on most of it? Um, 
I love that. I just relate to that because Sean, <laughs> Sean and I kind of, you know, play off each other. And a lot of times, you know, you're in the spotlight and Jenny doesn't maybe get as much attention, but she plays a crucial role in that. Um, it, yeah, and all um, partners, friends who support each other, you know, th there might be somebody who's, say, whether they're getting the attention or they're getting um, more focus and support. And that is a hard thing. Like, it's, it's not easy to go out and do that. And at the same time, it's also rewarding. Like, even though it's difficult, helping somebody achieve their goal. Like, I've, I've supported a lot of friends, crewed for a lot of friends. And it's still fun, even though you're not in that position of, like, yeah. doing the actual task. Um, there's still this sense of like just wanting to help somebody achieve something that they're after mm -hmm. and she definitely had the more difficult job for sure i mean running you know from point to point on the appalachian trail is one thing but trying to find the locations and hoping i was going to show up at each road crossing and and me counting on her being there it was like that next level of trust that we don't often get tested or challenged and then doing something like that with a spouse partner friend it can either go really bad where <laughs> yeah. um yeah some some friends joke like that's not like a recipe for divorce court or you know like basically never talking to each other again yeah. um and i say that just because yeah you have to go through so many difficult times and you have to be willing to give and take and and know when to push somebody when to hold back um and jenny's jenny was really good at having that balance of tough love and then also having that you know support and love and it's not easy because there were days where she was like i didn't want to push you anymore because it seemed like i was going to lose you like she thought mentally i was going to like yeah. not be the same person like she yeah. thought i broke you know i was breaking and that's where having the friends come in occasionally because Jenny couldn't do it anymore. And I think having a loved one or friend, sometimes you need fresh support uh, to come in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, without her, I wouldn't have gotten it done. And without her, we wouldn't have written the book either too. Because yeah. she was pushing me more. It's like, no, the second draft wasn't good enough. You need a third draft. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. I was so over it and, and so done. Like the Appalachian Trail, we were just so worked. Yeah. So many days we were like, rather be on the trail suffering than trying to write a book. Yeah. So shout out to everybody at the expo who's not running the marathon, but who has supported your significant other or partner, whatever you want to call them. That's a crucial part in this yeah. whole thing because it's a lot of training that goes into it and a lot of Definitely. time that's sucked away. Um, and there's paybacks too. That's where like now I'm like, you know, going and supporting Jenny. Like I feel like that's the important thing is like you got, whether it's somebody, they don't have to be a runner, but helping them do whatever they're focused on. Like, I think there's that give and take. Yeah. Um, so now I'm paying my dues um, and paying back uh, 46 go. days of crewing from Jenny. So yeah. when I go out, I'm the one who's taking care of the kids at the races now. And, yeah. um, and it's a fun way to be, again, be in a different position. So yeah. I think embracing that is important too because everyone wants to feel like, okay, I got to run this race or I want to I wanna do my thing. And um, whether it's a hobby or a sport, um, it's really easy to be like, okay, I've got to always have a goal. Sometimes it's good not to have a goal and help someone else. Yeah. And definitely if you have a significant other, um, <laughs> you better be giving them some attention too. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> it's not going to work out. Yeah. So obviously on the trail, there was so many physical barriers that you talk about an injury, a quad, a quad injury that you had to overcome. But it, it was also written at a point in your life where you didn't know if you wanted to con continue racing or what the next phase was. And, and people who listen to this show, it's called Redirected for a reason because they're looking 
at some career pivot or they have had some major life pivot. I'm curious how, how you progressed through that. Yeah, it was, it was tough. And having a partner and spouse like Jenny, who she was just kind of like, you know, if, if you want to retire, retire. Like, don't keep going to these races and convincing yourself that you still have it. And mentally, I was just kind of battling that. Of like, I felt like I still had the physical abilities to run well. But I would get to some of these races and mentally I wasn't fired up. I didn't have that drive. I didn't have that passion. And that can happen at any point in life where you just kind of feel like, okay, you're, some, someone can get stuck or, or just feeling a little burnt out. And for me, I loved running and I was worried that if I just kept doing that and kept going back and, and not doing well and not being there mentally, I was going to just drop running altogether. And so for me, I needed to, to find something that challenged me and tweaked running in a way that was exciting and new. And so it gave me something to be pumped about. And doing something like the Appalachian Trail was that, that challenge that I needed to like basically get the drive back. So my recommendation would be you have, you have to find a way to tweak your activity, your, your career, your passion, um, and sometimes that's like giving back and just taking a different perspective, like volunteering within your field or within a profession or a group and, and acting as somebody who's in a different role. I think that could do it. Um, or finding a challenge that is like completely maybe bigger or completely out of your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, that, that's always been helpful for me too, to, to get that perspective. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a difficult place to be in uh, because again, I love running and I didn't want to like have this bad taste in my mouth for it and, and just kind of like spin my wheels, so to speak. Yeah. I love your approach when confronted with the tough decision was not just to stand there at the fork in the road and read books about it or, or, you know, consult, although I'm sure you did that. It was take action and then figure out where that leads you. So I yeah, wanna... I mean, I'm not going to say don't prepare, but <laughs> yeah. for those uh, who are stuck or who are like kind of questioning, you know, what they're doing again, maybe there's just like one little tweak you can do. Like I didn't go into this challenge having everything figured out. Yeah. It was actually kind of fun to be more nimble, to be adaptable. And that's why I think um, we're, we're at our best. I'm not saying, you know, cramming is the best solution always or like, but there's something about, you know, being thrown into a situation and having to figure it out yeah. and, and doing something difficult isn't, uh, in our nature these days with modern society, it's, it's like find the easy way through. Um, so I think sometimes going backwards or doing things in a different fashion where you don't prepare or don't have everything figured out beforehand um, and just kind of go into it with like a different set of eyes, um, mm -hmm. that can keep it fun and interesting. Yeah. And that, yeah. What are your goals now? Um, well, Jenny and I have two little kids now that are uh, definitely causing us to run around the house uh, crazy and ragged um, more than different more, more than a, yeah, yeah. a different type of running around and a different type of sleep deprivation um, but I'm really after the Appalachian Trail I needed some time to also like unwind from that experience it was so big and on a different scale than what I had done before so I've finally gotten to this point where I'm like pumped to go out and do something else so um, I'm basically at that point of finding the next challenge uh, for me. And in that phase of, okay, what's going to be most inspiring? I've had like a few ideas, 
which um, I don't like to share because I like to keep it to myself until it actually happens. Yep. But um, I have a few things I've wanted to do, and it's just a matter of like, figuring out like, how am I going to make those exciting and, and what's going to get me most excited for it. So something big, and that, that hopefully happening in the next year. Yeah. Um, so Castle Black will be a little bit more full. The van will be yeah, four people instead of two. Uh, and, yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, with the kids. Um, but it'll add a different dynamic to it as well. Yeah. You have so much wisdom, and your approach towards life and being very intentional with everything you do really shines through, and especially in your books. Again, I would highly recommend Eat and Run or North if you haven't read it yet. But I'm curious, three takeaways that you've learned in your ultramarathon career that you would share with the audience? Well, I think um, first and foremost, in order to have like longevity or you know, ha being in a career pathway for a long time. And for me, I, I think the good thing is it wasn't my sole uh, basically income source. Like running, I, I trained and raced as if I was a professional, but I had to work a job alongside of it. And I think that was a gift. So as much as sometimes a passion or a hobby or you know hopefully a career move might not seem like something you can do full time i think it's okay to have a job on the side and and be passionate about something i think that's what really helps so the writer or um i mean you probably know this too you in your line of work i mean you were saying you hadn't played a professional football game in six years was it Four years. Four years. Uh, and, and that's a hard position to be in. Yeah. Um, but if you stick with it and maybe have some other kind of avenue, um, I think that's actually, it's actually a blessing than a mm -hmm. curse. Um, so I feel like that's, that's helped me through the years in maintaining that longevity is I, I just wasn't running full time and running wasn't my only, like, I guess, career at the time. Um, other things I would suggest is I mentioned earlier is like you got to mix things up. I was in, at one point in my career, I was just one of these mountain trail guys, and I wasn't going to do any of the road races. Like Badwater, that seems stupid. Like why would you want to run 135 miles on the road? Uh, why would somebody want to run a 24-hour race where you just do loops for 24 hours? Those things early in my career, I thought that's stupid. You know, who who does that? And then here I am. I'm running Badwater, um, running Spartathlon, 153 miles on pavement, and I finally just kind of let things go of like changing that mentality of like, okay, I don't want to do those things because they sound boring. They, they just don't sound intriguing. And I needed to, to switch things up throughout the career. And, and those events gave me a, a completely different perspective um, and something that I needed to stay like energized. Um, so I could still go to the races like the Hard Rock 100 instead of course record. Um, I always came back fresh from those experiences. So I think that's an important thing too is, you know, don't limit oneself into just like the, the wheelhouses that you're comfortable with. Um, get outside of your comfort zone and, and respecting uh, the ways that things are done on the, at those races. Like the last thing I want to do is wear pants at Badwater and wear, you know, long sleeves. I mean, that's what, I don't know, the real slow runners did. And that wasn't really like a yeah. racing mentality. But again, I had to change my line of thinking and be humbled by the conditions and respect the conditions. And, and that's something too. So um, <clears throat> alongside the last thing I would say is, is not just doing a sport or passion for like your sole reward or just self-satisfaction. I think being able to give back throughout the years has helped me too, whether it's getting out to the
running clubs and speaking or giving up my time at races as a volunteer. Um, I feel like that's something or guiding with visually, the visually impaired uh, runners. All of these different nonprofit avenues has been important too to keep that fire going. So I feel like whether it's mentoring somebody, education, uh, finding ways, whether it's you name it, any type of career or passion, I think that's an important aspect of it. Like taking a different step back and having a, a way to view something that you love to do. Yeah. Scott, your, uh, <coughs> your encouragement, I think, is a huge part of your legacy, as is your energy and approach to your sport. You're known for kind of rolling across finish lines, and I think, I think that kind of indicates how, how much you enjoy what you really do, and I think that's really appreciate, uh, appreciated. Um, I appreciate you sitting here and taking the time, and I appreciate Cliff Bar providing the, the spot. They just came out with this new... Uh, Boston cream pie flavor, so I'm pretty Yeah, no, we're sitting here with a bunch of donuts. I think they're real donuts. I'm surprised nobody has uh, grabbed into these. I'm getting tempted back here. But <laughs> anyway, I appreciate the time, Scott. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. I'd like to talk to you and ask you more questions. Too. I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated with what you do, and uh, I think it's, it, it's a real testament to, to what you're like opening up your mind to like run 26.2 miles, a guy that, you know, this job is so critical in a matter of like seconds what has to occur in snapping a football um i mean i I've, I've seen that occur so many times but knowing like the pressure and just what has to happen in that short of time frame um i'm just super pumped that you've uh looking uh looking outside of the box and uh yeah. doing something like uh, running a marathon uh, it's fascinating to me that you're going to give it a go, and uh, you're going to do awesome, and just wish you all the best uh, Monday. Appreciate that. I'll take you up it's on gonna that. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's going to hurt a little bit. but you're gonna <laughs> Can't wait. Thanks yeah. again, man. Yeah. Thanks so much, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you found today's interview valuable, there are a lot of ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can also share it with your friends on social media, blogs, or on your own podcast. And please head over to my website at www.andrewdeast.com for more information and to request your favorite celebrity, entrepreneur, athlete, or anyone else who inspires you. Feel free to connect with me directly on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew D. East. And thank you again. We hope to see you next time on Redirected.